Welcome to Talking Hospitality. I'm Tracy Rashid. And I'm Sarah Kikal. Today's episode is a hot topic, sustainability. Sustainability is a critical concept that focuses on meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of the future generations to meet their own needs. It encompasses environmental, social and economic dimensions, aiming to create a balanced and harmonious relationship between society, the environment and the economy. And our guest today is right in the thick of it. Since 2015, our guest Andrea Zick has been working as a PA to the GM at the Oxo Tower Restaurant, Bar and Brasserie. In this role, she's led the business to win the accolade of Food Made Good Community Champion from the Sustainable Restaurant Association in 2017. She then went on to lead the Oxo Tower Restaurant, Bar and Brasserie to win the most sustainable restaurant at the National Restaurants Awards 2019 and a Green Michelin star in 2021. Welcome, Angela. We are so pleased to have you here as our guest today. How are you? I'm very well, and it's uh, wonderful to meet you in uh, person, I'd like to say, even though it's virtual. So we can hear there's a lot of background noise. Where are you at the moment? I'm actually at the restaurant. I've taken basically an hour out of work to meet you and to talk a little bit about very much my personal views on sustainability. Um, so not really representing the business here in the conversation, but sharing hopefully some insights of my journey um, in sustainability with others. So uh, now some of you might be thinking, we've all heard about sustainability. We know what it is. We know it's a good thing. But what does sustainability actually mean? You obviously did um, a very good job in explaining it, at least uh, defining it in the intro, which would have probably been how I would have started. And maybe I go one step further and say what sustainability means for me in a business context. I would say what it really means is to go into dialogue with every person in the business about if you like the practices they are currently applying and understanding how these practices may influence these three dimensions you mentioned, um, the environment, social and the governance or the people, the planet and the profit of the business. And then uh, literally exploring how how their practices, if they're influencing these things, could be improved, changed and transitioned to something different. Yeah, that's definitely a bit more um, elaborated than what we said <laughs> as a definition of sustainability, <laughs> without a doubt. I think communication is a core ingredient. Um, so as a previous chef, I always think of uh, things in recipes. Communication is one of the important ingredients. I think it's also trying to be empathetic for the needs of everyone who's actually creating the change processes, because sustainability ultimately is a journey within that journey you are often asking people to change the way they are currently working or to apply change to the business they are in the system they're in and that often requires and that's really another key ingredient empathy and compassion for when things aren't that straightforward and going back to the communication it isn't telling it's literally a dialogue which is very different to you need to do this and I would say sustainability projects become more successful if consensus and dialogue is the, the kind of starting point. And then people are also going into a place where they are willing to experiment. And I always think I'm so lucky as a, as a chef back in my previous life 
I always loved experimenting and being creative. So sustainability probably uses some of that love for creation and being a little bit of a maverick and trying things out. Andrew, I love the fact that you're saying that, you know, you don't, it's not just about what you're doing wrong, but it's, it's that journey. It's understanding it's change. When there's people involved, that's never the easiest thing to do. It's so clear that you're passionate about sustainability and what you do, but what inspired you to get into that field? Was there like a big bang or was it like a slow process? How did you get into it? I wouldn't say it was a big bang. There's something I've learned yesterday called ancestral knowing and ancestral knowing is kind of almost the inherited knowledge we carry through our life so as a child in my family I was lucky enough to be exposed to a garden and the opportunity to grow things and to see how things grow and that kind of almost planted the seed of understanding the connection of how we influence the planet it influences aspects so that's something which long, long time ago. And then I studied nutrition and health. At that point, I got really interested in the question of world hunger, food insecurity. Then I got increasingly more conscious of, I feel like the limitations, the environmental limitations of our planet. And when you then go down that rabbit hole and you realize, oh, there's environmental limitations, you then also have to start asking yourself, what are the economic limitations um, for a business if there's only so much the planet can give. And then there's maybe one other dimension which helped me there. I'm a, I'm a yogi and uh, when you do yoga, you often connect to the world in a lens where you feel that everything is connected. And I think that feeds into this idea of sustainability as well. Andrew, I know uh, you just mentioned about being fortunate enough to grow up with, you know, seeing food grown in a garden. And I was very much like that as well. It's always been important to me to pass it on to my children and understand about food wastage and the process and you know, all those kind of things that we should be very, very conscious of. And, you know, we've heard very much about the strategies such as farm to fork. So how do you work with OXO to develop menus that really emphasize sustainability? Whatever sustainability practices and projects you want to implant, it's always important to almost assess the present first. So talking to the team you're working in, assessing what are we doing currently, then um, asking yourself, what's the future vision? And even with that future vision, you want to bring in the people who are working with you because my vision might be very different to your vision, right? And unless we are kind of trying to create a joint vision, it will be really hard to actually transition from eight feet. And when you've created basically the present and the future, you can then think about what transition plans you can take. And these transition plans will be very different for different businesses. So within the business we are working in, it kind of feels like a dance. We introduce something, we test it, we use what feels right for our business. And then remove the things which don't quite feel right. As an example, we've worked um, on food waste reduction for quite a while. Um, we started this when the Sustainable Restaurant Association launched something called Food Waste Bad Past. And that was linked to the organization called RAP. It's an NGO. And they tackle waste on a broader scale. But food waste is one of the things. And 
really it started simple with us saying, okay, we want to get an understanding of how much food waste we are creating. And then we started measuring. And while, while we started measuring, we learned about how are we actually creating waste and what areas are we creating waste? Who might be the best person to tell us what waste is created? Then who are the people who might have the biggest influence in reducing this waste? We started it this way and then we went on to a journey of learning that was supported by then eventually signing up to the Guardians of Grub training. A whole bunch of people in the business trained on the Guardians of Grub training that allowed us then to kind of connect front of house and back of house on this kind of mission to reduce food waste. I've done the um, the wrap uh, Guardians of the Grub training as well, and it's really inspirational. And as a chef in the kitchen, you don't really think about what are the what are the front of house doing and how how do they like you fill in a questionnaire at the beginning and one of the first questions is um who are the people in your restaurant who are your key stakeholders and it does actually go through front of house and that sort of made me go oh oh yeah okay it does have an impact and i really hadn't thought about it before so for anyone who's not done guardians of the grub training i would suggest doing it for for all your staff it's it's really good really insightful i'm very pleased to say that our ambition to reduce food waste by half since we started the measuring is on track. We still kind of see spikes and troughs. So it's something we certainly want to continue looking at, but we are certainly on track achieving that. And that's just such an amazing achievement. And this wouldn't be possible if we wouldn't have brought in different team members. Even if you think there's sometimes invisible places. So our sales team and our reservations teams are just as important in this process because if for whatever reason they are missing to update the bookings, then we potentially overproduce. If they are not putting in the information of someone being an allergen in, in, in events, again, we probably produce food, but it's not edible by these guests. So it becomes like a network operation and you really want to bring in as many people as possible, but equally you need to streamline it so you can actually start progressing. I have a question for you both actually being chefs. There's a very much like background of, you know, making sure that something is as square as possible, even if it was originally round. So there's wastage and things, and you know, presentation is obviously very important, especially the more high end you go with, with the cuisine. So is it more difficult to bring those type of chefs, especially maybe the old school along the sustainability journey? In weird ways, that's maybe something I'm exploring in my PhD research to a level. It's not the main focus, but it's somewhat generational difference between how we see good food to sum it up. So I think if you speak to someone who's going to culinary schools now with the rise and sustainability conversation and messaging, I think there's probably more of an awareness that good food has to be linked to that as well. Whereas traditionally, I would say chefs probably associated good food with taste and indulgence and hedonism. And I'm not saying that this isn't true still. I think we are almost adding another dimension now into how we want to create food and kind of taking that on board. What do you think, Sarah? I think previously where you'd have seen perhaps, you know, the, the good example is a piece of fish, right? Where Previously, you might have seen a piece cut off the side or a piece cut off the end to, to square the shape, and that would have been considered waste. 
you really wouldn't see that now. And you know, even things like fish skin, it's um, it's become cool to eat fish skin crackling. Yeah, you know? like skin would have been discarded before. Can you still make beautiful food which is the direct your eyes are not over trimming? Yeah, of course you can. And I think people have moved towards that. Oh, Andrea, how can the hospitality industry have a bigger voice in food systems for sustainable eating? Big question. And the reason why it's a big question is that it's because hospitality is so varied. So I'll give you an example. If you're a hotel or an events company, the impact of your business will sit in a different area than a restaurant. If we are just looking at greenhouse gas emissions, and that, of course, isn't the only dimensions we might be considering within sustainability, a hotel's greenhouse gas emissions are likely to be much higher in the transport of their guests coming to the hotel proportionately than maybe the food. Specifically, let's say if you're a hotel which just does bed and breakfast, right? You're already, just by buying produce, your costs are already lower on the food side. So how a hotel will influence the conversation around environmental conversations will be slightly different to maybe a restaurant. Then again, with events, similar thing. Um, with events, you're probably going to have guests traveling in, and that might also have a much, much higher impact on the overall footprint the business is generating. For me, and that's kind of where I like to say I'm a bit more specialized, maybe, I look at how food in particular, food and drink, impact the planet and that's because i work in a restaurant and a lot of the certainly greenhouse gas emissions and probably a lot of the other environmental impacts are driven by the food and drink we are buying i don't want to ignore that when we are switching on the light when we are switching on the hops that's what you call in sustainability language scope one and two emissions they play a role as well but if you start looking at where are the biggest impact of our business? They tend to sit in the things we are buying and then selling prospectively. That means that understanding when we are buying food, where it's coming from, how it's being produced is becoming increasingly more important. And then the next layer, and that's certainly my view when you're starting to think about, okay, it's food and drink, which has potentially the biggest impact in the business on the planet. Then how can we now modulate the food and drink offer to remove some of these impacts or reduce some of these impacts and still deliver the sort of experience our guests are looking after. They still want to eat luxuriously. They still want to treat themselves coming to the restaurant. As a more practical example, if you come to the restaurant at the moment, we sell beef. People love to treat themselves coming to a restaurant and say, this is my one time a year where I might actually treat myself. So they're probably going to order a beef fillet. Um, it's one of our best sellers. Now, from a sustainability point of view, that's a drama for me because it's got one of the highest impacts. So removing it from the menu is probably not an option at this moment in time. Yeah. But what we can do is asking ourselves, how can we actually get the beef on the plate in the lowest impact version? So asking ourselves, can we find a farmer who farms the cattle in ways which are more regenerative? Can we consider maybe the size of the cut? Is the way we are putting that beef onto the plate producing waste which is unnecessary and can we reduce that waste around it for example so it's 
it's kind of asking ourselves, what are the things we can influence by still delivering what our guests are looking for? It's so insightful. There's so much going on in the background that as a consumer, you don't really realise. It's like, oh, it's just a piece of meat, you know, but there's so much that goes on behind it. You saying that there's like tears of the kind of emissions has never even crossed my mind before. And the fact that restaurants or hotels take ownership of their customers' journey footprint as well, that's definitely news to me. It's quite a responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never... To me, I wouldn't have thought that was part of their, their responsibility, you know? I would say there's still a little bit of a debate around what proportion they should be taking ownership of because there's a difference and this is when it gets very technical. So when you do life cycle analysis, which is where you're trying to assess how much greenhouse gas emissions or how much impacts are going into a product, a service, you make assumptions. And is it right to assume that someone traveling to the restaurant is only coming to the restaurant for only meeting the restaurant, only eating there, or where they're on a journey already somewhere and passing yeah. through, right? So therefore, you then have to ask yourself, do we need to challenge some of these assumptions? Yeah. And that will vary again for each business. Yeah, that's a tough one. A central London restaurant is probably more likely in a position where someone is passing through. Whereas if I am a destination restaurant in a beautiful space in the countryside, it's less likely that someone is passing through. They are actually making the journey specifically for that restaurant. Yeah. Sarah asked you a question about food systems. So can you tell us more about the UK Food Systems Centre for doctoral training and how you think the next generation of doctors will approach diet advice? So the UK Food Systems Centre for Doctoral Training is where I'm currently doing my PhD. It's based in Greenwich and um, it's training 60 students in the UK food system. And when we talk about the UK food system, people often don't really quite know what the food system is. So the food system, as I would define it as a PhD student, is basically everything which is involved in getting food to our table. So that's the growing of the food, transporting of the food, the processing, the potentially storing of the food, the further processing in a kitchen or in a restaurant, then the distributing it, and then also the what happens after it. So if there's food waste or if there's waste or leftovers on the plate, what happens to it afterwards? That's part of it as well. And the people I'm lucky enough to spend time with, so the other doctoral students and the lecturers and their supervisors, they are all really, really keen on understanding how can we shift this big beast, if you like, to have better outcomes for society, for the environment. Students look at different things. So some might be working purely on farming. Um, some might be looking at the logistics processes. Some might be interested in things like Nutritionally, what do we need to um, start growing to make sure that in the next generation we actually have maybe healthier diets? And again, that's a spongy term. What I define as healthy might not be what other people define as healthy. What policies would we need to put in place and what governance systems do we need to put in place to actually have different outcomes than we currently have here? That's really interesting that you talk a lot about governance and having the specialized areas. I think for most consumers, when we think about sustainability, we might have the best intentions, we might have what I would say are bigger aspirations for sustainability, 
the UK than we feel that our leaders do. Do you feel there's a disparity there? And do you think that can ever be bridged? The disparity lies in part in the different goals government sets within their agenda. And that's really me kind of thinking out loud. Yeah. The government needs to deliver on economic outcomes. It needs to deliver on public health outcomes. It needs to deliver on environmental outcomes. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to deliver all that often in one or two policies, right? right. Which makes it really difficult. They also need to bring together what I would call public consensus about what do we define, uh, what do we think is a healthy diet? What would we say is a sustainable diet? And if we would just talk about what good food means to each one of us, we probably would have very different views of that. And that's why it's often really difficult to bring consensus between these two things, because there's different opinions and different values associated to different aspects of the food system. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I will fess up here. I did completely go off script there because this is a subject that I'm very passionate about and um, could talk about all day. So it's really interesting to hear your thoughts on that. But if we have any of our listeners who are at the start of their own personal sustainability journey, or even if they're well into it, what, what's the one piece of advice do you give them to, to stick with it and just to keep going for, for the good of the planet, for society, for the economy? What can they do as an individual? I think what keeps me going personally is using creativity and being curious while also wanting to understand someone else's position within that. So it's it's kind of being empathetic to the people around you, um, trying to truly listen what their needs are and then start from where their needs sit and where they are at and start building from there. because. If you are not bringing in the people from the place they are currently at, it's going to be really difficult for you to get their support. And sometimes maybe it isn't about getting their support. Maybe it's about you supporting them. Yeah, that's great advice. Mm -hmm. And it definitely sounds like, you know, it's not a one size fits all, which might be why people think going on this journey <laughs> might be difficult. But actually, when it's more personalized, you're more connected and probably more likely to stick to it as well. As a hospitality person, um, it's, it's a beautiful way to connect with people on a very authentic level. I've met some of the most interesting people through this journey. And sometimes they've challenged me, but challenge isn't mm. a bad thing. Challenge helps you to grow, to transition, to change your own perceptions of what's right and wrong. Yeah, and I think if you're thinking about sustainability, it's bigger than yourself, isn't it? So it's you know, it's not just mm -hmm. about me, me, me. You're, you are thinking of the planet, really, and, and everyone that's on it. And, and it's a beautiful place to have a reason to connect because I won't have all the answers. Whereas if I bring other people's knowledge and wisdom in, then I might get the right answers or might find better solutions. Yes, it's time for put the cuppa down and quick fire round. Question time. The rules of the game, Andrea, is to answer the questions with one word answers. Now, we know that one word answers may be tricky for those in hospitality. So let's see how you get on. We'll be judging your answers by speed, succinctness, and perhaps anything arbitrary we choose to add. At the end of the season, we will tally up the scores from each of our guests and the winner will receive... Are you ready, Andrea? Are you ready for what the prize is? It's a £10 Amazon voucher. <laughs> so if you are ready, Andrea, let's begin. Oh, yes, I'm ready. So, Andrea, if you were a flavour of ice cream, what would you be? Tutti frutti. 
So thinking of, uh, as an example, Christmas and Easter, if you could create a new holiday, what would it be called? World Peace Day. What's the most unusual job you can imagine yourself doing for a day? The first thing I was thinking of was fire, a firewoman. What is your go-to karaoke style? I hate karaoke. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Do you run hot or cold? Hot. If you could have dinner with any fictional character, who would it be? Fuhua um, from uh, The NeverEnding Story. Andrea, what's the weirdest talent that you have that not many people know about? I dress uh, my uh, clothes from inside out. (laughs) (laughs) So if you could visit any place, real or fictional, where would you go? This sounds boring, but I would stay at the Thames. So crisps, fried or baked? Baked as a nutritionist. If you could switch lives with any celebrity for a day, who would it be? Greta Thunberg. If you had the power to solve one global issue, what would it be? I'd start with world peace. I think all the others would be easier to solve afterwards. If you could collaborate with any person, living or dead, on a project, who would it be? Um, I would love to collaborate with uh, George Orwell. Like it. Fact or fiction? Fiction. We need more dreaming. Imagine you wake up one day with the ability to speak every language fluently. How would you use this newfound skill? (laughs) To bring people together um, to overcome tension and problems. If your life had a theme song, Andrea, that played every time you entered a room, what would it be? (laughs) The first one coming to mind is staying alive. What is your go-to dance move when no one is watching? The shimmy. EastEnders or Coronation Street? Hollyoaks. It's a bit younger, isn't it? It's more our generation, to be fair. (laughs) Okay, this is a riddle. I have keys, but no locks. I have space, but no room. You can enter, but you can't go inside. What am I? A box. What has a heart that doesn't beat? A clock. So your time is up, Andrea. And you made it through. So the answers for the final two questions were, the first one was keyboard. I got that. And the second one was artichoke. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good one. Get that. So how do you think you scored? Really poorly. I'm not competitive like that. Um, I'm the worst person. I always want the team to win. Oh, well, we're competitive. So Sarah, do you want to tally up those points? <laughs> um, I got 16. Well, you got 16. And Andrew, you're going to have to stay tuned to find out at the end of the season if you've won our top of the range prize, <laughs> which I'm sure you're just, uh, just dying to have. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. It's been great having you as a guest. Um, we know that our listeners will make use of the experience device that you've given. Uh, thank you also to our listeners for joining us today. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations here on Talking Hospitality. And we'd like to thank our brand partner, Graphic Kitchen, you, our listeners, our guests, and all of those who have supported us. Please check us out at talkinghospitality.com, the latest gossip, episodes, blogs, and courses. Wishing you well. Thank you all for listening and stay awesome.